everyone, and welcome to Minute 31 of Season 3 of Movie Around Minutes, the daily podcast, where we yippee our way through the 1988 Bruce Willis action flick, Die Hard, one minute at a time. I'm Rob, and joining me today is Matthew Simpson of Awesome Friday. Welcome to the show, Matthew. Well, thank you for having me. Excited to be here. Uh, I'm excited to have you. Hopefully we'll, we'll have some interesting things to talk about this week. A few little uh, threats, bloodstains. Uh, bumps on the head, you know, we, we get some normal things this week, uh, you know, typical for Die Hard. Yeah. Hopefully no cut up yeah. so, but we're, otherwise we're good. <laughs> no, no cut up yet. We're going to have to wait a few weeks for that one. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. So episode 31 begins with McLean entering the boardroom stealthily and ends with Hans making another fashion comment. So, <laughs> you know, we, we ended things on Friday with uh, Hans and Takagi in the boardroom Mm -hmm. and Takagi and now the audience has just found out that we're not dealing with terrorists here. We're actually dealing with people who are here to steal $640 million worth of uh, bearer bonds. So yeah, that's uh, not something that one would expect. You know, I, I love the way that it takes a half hour for us to actually find this out where we think, that is terrorist, and like all the, all the posters, you know, terrorists take over the Nakatomi building. I, I I love the fact that they get it wrong and they say twelve terrorists take over, and it, they're actually thirteen if you count properly. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's all kind of a really uh, a nice little misdirect, isn't it? Because the whole yes. the whole film up to this point has set them up as uh, terrorists on some cause, but it's right now when we learn that they're. Basically, they're, they're just thieves, exceptional thieves, as we'll learn later in the film. Exceptional thieves, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, thieves nonetheless. <laughs> so that, that, that works really well. <laughs> yeah. And uh, this this minute, I, I find this minute, this whole five minutes that we're going to be covering this week, I find to be one of my favorite scenes in the movie, actually. So thank you for giving it to me. <laughs> it, 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 it was by accident. It didn't, you know, I, I love how these things sometimes work uh, – you know, completely kismet. Yeah. You know, you don't have to plan ahead. You just say, okay, why don't you take this random minute, random group? And, and most of the time I I've had, you know, this is my third season doing this. Most of the time, you know, at least what the, what my guests say is that they, they love those week, the week that they got, hopefully they're actually, they actually mean it, you know? So, I mean, I did have some one person complain about getting credits and, but then we had a, a two 50 minute uh, conversations on those episodes. So you never know. You know, it's 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 like Forrest Gump says. You know, life is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're gonna get. <laughs> true. So true. it all depends on what you have to talk about. <laughs> well, I really like these scenes because uh, at least the first, this one in particular, is uh, quite Alan Rickman heavy, and that's never a bad thing. Yes, that's true. Yeah. Well, you know, Alan Rickman is the real star of this movie. I mean, we all love Bruce Willis, and this is the movie that made his that made him Bruce Willis. You know, there's no question about that. But no. It's Alan Rickman who steals every single moment that he's in this movie. Yeah, as he's you know, you know want to do in most things that he's in, really. Yeah, but this was this was his first. Uh, yeah, it's his uh, uh, role in a movie. Yeah, it's his film you know, debut. So. And I don't. Uh, it wasn't Bruce Willis's, but yeah, you're right. It was definitely Bruce Willis's big breakout because he was at this time he was sort of best known for um, moonlighting. moonlighting and also for a series yeah. of I think coffee commercials wasn't it 
in the 80s? He did a series of commercials he, for something. Had he started uh, those coffee commercials beforehand? I don't, I don't remember. Yeah. I don't remember. Pretty... I mean, he was also like the 12th person that they offered this role to. Yeah. You know, it was like some some crazy number of people, you know, uh, compl- all said no. Yeah. Which uh, I wonder how many of them, probably most of them, are kicking themselves, you know, decades later that they, they ah, should have taken Richard Gere. You know, was was the first person that they wanted to give this role to. I mean, everyone always has good reasons to turn stuff down, right? Like, I think the more famous, and, and then they complain afterwards, though. Yeah, I mean, the more famous <laughs> contemporary one would be Will Smith turning down The Matrix, right? To be to be in Wild. I, Wild I was West, just thinking that, yeah. Of all things, yeah. But on paper, Wild Wild West was a looked like a slam dunk. So why wouldn't you make the the, the choice makes sense if you think about it in the moment? In hindsight, not at all. Right but in the moment. Exactly. Like, well, it's the same thing. It's the same thing with Die Hard. I'm assuming that on paper it just seemed like okay, just another typical action movie, and that was it. Yeah. You know, Richard Gere didn't wasn't apparently interested in another action movie, and so he passed on it. And you know, no one ever thought that it would be a movie that spawned a genre. Yeah. So, that's true. You know, certain things just happen when when you're not expecting them. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. You know, what can I tell you? So the the minute starts off with uh, John entering the boardroom. You know, uh, we we have this this conversation going on between Hans and and Takagi, mm-hmm. and one of the things I love here, and I didn't notice this till till I did the research now, is if you look at at the subtitles, you can actually uh, find out what the conversation is between Hans and Takagi that is continuing, because because John hears muffled uh, voices, but we can't really hear what what they're saying. But if you if if you read the subtitles, you can see he goes, Mr. Takagi, I sympathize with your reluctance, but I'm sure you realize you're not dealing with anything significant here. It's not as if it's your the education of your children. The bonds represent, at most, 10 days operating capital for your parent organization. It's really no more than a temporary inconvenience, which which says so much because it were, you know, you find out from this that, that Hans is actually trying to convince him that, you know, it's not worth it. Yeah. You know, don't, 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 don't argue with it. Just give me the code and that's it. Yeah. I rewatched, um, to be fair, I didn't watch the whole thing this morning, but I rewatched the whole, the first half of this movie this morning before I got distracted by other things. And well, at least you saw the part that at least you saw the, the first 35 minutes. Yeah. yeah I definitely got through our, our time. <laughs> um, one of the things I noticed, cause I, I, you know, separately watched the minute clips and then read the transcript of those clips. And I noticed because I was watching uh, on my laptop with headphones that I actually could hear everything he was saying quite clearly, which was I had never I'm sure it's been there. It's one of those things that's been there the whole time, but I had never noticed it before. But it's such a right. No, I, I, I heard it also when I was listening to it, but I'm saying I never noticed it beforehand. Yeah. And it's such a great uh, setup for what's about to happen <laughs> and also it, yes. it allows them to like build context for uh hans gruber and for his uh whole plan while also building tension for john who's hiding in the next in the next room it's uh kind right. of masterful work actually when uh yeah it really is i mean we, we discussed this a little bit last week with with, with my guest uh, dj about the fact that you know hans compartmentalized the whole plan you know he knows the entire plan but he doesn't tell anyone. Yeah, he's the only he one. He doesn't tell everyone anyone everything. And the the the, the question that, that 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 DJ and I posed was is okay, what's the reason that he didn't tell everyone the plan? Is it because 
you know, he's like the Joker where the idea is, is that, okay, everyone does their part and then I'm going to get rid of them. Or is it the opposite that he's scared that if everybody knows the entire plan, they're going to get rid of him. I think that either is equally plausible. Um, I tend would tend to lean towards the latter that like as the mastermind, right. you, you keep, you know, his one big job is to keep all the pieces moving. And not only does it keep uh, anyone from trying to take over the plan, it also allows him to have his subordinates on his team focus entirely on their one part, which they all do. Right. right? Correct. Um, yeah, for sure. So like Clarence Gilliard, like, doesn't really know anything other than about the safe, but that's all he needs to know to make right. the plan work. And as long as he trusts Hans, then and the plan works, then they all get rich. Right. You know, it's a, it's exactly. effective management by delegation, basically. Yes, completely. <laughs> I mean, that, that's the, that's the way he does this. I mean, the, the whole Hans does everything as if it's a, he has a business plan. Yeah. You know, he's, he's giving out, giving out instructions to everybody, you know, as, a, a a business official, you know, as as the like the boss. Yeah. You know, he he doesn't act at all like one would expect a villain to act. Which which is one of the reasons why he's one of the best villains in any movie. Yeah, I also just like that he is super well dressed, like everyone else is and it sort of it reflects his <laughs> position on the team, not only as the leader, but as like the face of what's going on, not only to the hostages but to the police and to John. Although John doesn't meet him until right. later, but you know he's the one that they all have to look to and and trust and believe. So he's the best dressed among all of them, wearing like a very yes. nice slick suit, as opposed to the like sweatsuits and you know tank tops and uh, casual sweaters. What the rest of them are wearing? Yeah. yeah. Well, they're, they're they're wearing European clothes, right? Yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> That's the <laughs> the height of the height of eighties fashion, I'm sure. Yes, completely. Yeah. Which which makes sense. Yeah. You know, why why not? <laughs> yeah, I mean it's all So all John Yeah, for for sure. So John is is still in the uh, model area, you know, underneath the, the model of the of Indonesia mm-hmm. that, that we saw, which looks amazing. There's no question about that. The people who did the, the production design on that uh, definitely get kudos for, for creating some great models in in that uh, in that room. Yeah, I mean the whole the production and, design of all of the sets is pretty I mean a lot of it is just, you know, excessive eighties boardrooms and such, but it's all really well done. It's all really immaculate. I thought. Right. So at this point, uh, you know, John we, we I like the fact that we keep seeing the perspective from John and the perspective in the boardroom. You know, you get the, the inside outside look at what's going mm-hmm. on. You know, because we want to also, as viewers, be able to see things up close, but also see it from afar, you know, how it's perceived and stuff like that. It's important, you know, John being the protagonist, although Hans does steal every scene that he's in, I think it's important that, you know, as in, from the audience point of view, we know what John knows. And so we often, you know, right. even though we're getting an inside-outside perspective, we're only hearing things that john would be able to hear uh mostly but there are things that we hear other i mean the whole idea of that that this is a robbery mm. you know we 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 learned that and john doesn't know that he doesn't find that out till much later oh, i guess that's true yeah 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 right and so then we get a shot of, of hans you know sitting calmly at the at the the boardroom table and then he goes now the code please and as he's doing this you see that he's unscrewing the silencer 
from the gun. Now, why, why would you think he's doing that? <laughs> so that everyone can yeah, hear the shot? Yeah, I think it's just an intimidation move, honestly. But the intimidation move to Takagi or everyone downstairs? Because they are a few floors down. You don't know if they're really going to be able to hear a shot or not. Yeah, that's fair. I think... I'm assuming it's not shoddy. I'm assuming it's not shoddy, uh, you know, construction. <laughs> these, these, you know, offices and the buildings, you know, they're 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 going to be pretty soundproof. Especially, I mean, they're in the boardroom. You don't want people to be able to hear what's going on in a boardroom in a multi-million dollar, multi-billion-dollar company. That's true. I think it might, for me, it feels just like an intimidation move for Takagi, just that like he's handling the gun, he's setting up what he's about right. to do or what he might be about to do in this minute. Um, and then if right. he does have to use the gun, the, that noise will reverberate. Um, it's also just from a you know filmmaking point of view, uh, a loud gun is more effective in a scene like this, or in what's about to happen anyway. Yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, I do. Yes. I think it's just that he's... <laughs> in a week like this. Yeah, I think, he's just, I think he's just handling the gun to make it clear he knows how to handle the gun in front of Takagi. Yeah. Yeah, and then like he just places the gun on the side on, on the desk, which uh, is is also done very interestingly the way that he he places it down and stuff like that. And then Takagi responds, "It's useless to you. There are seven safeguards on our vault, and the code key is only one of them. You'll never get it open." And you know Takagi has been quite confident up until now, but we get to see that he's mm -hmm. he's starting to sweat. He's nervous. I, I don't know if he's nervous that he thinks he's going to get shot, but he he I think the fact that that he found out that this is a robbery just turned everything on end for him. Yeah, you know he thought he knew what's going on, and then here wait a second, they're here just to steal this money. So I don't know. I mean I I do like the fact that 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 we can barely hear him uh, hear Han say to him. You know that is only ten days operating capital for your parent organization because that that would make it belittle the the amount of money that they're they're taking from here. Meaning, if if Hans's his excuses is that your your company is not even going to notice it, they're not going to notice six hundred forty million dollars, which as of today we, I did the calculation last week, it's like one one and a half billion dollars. Okay, what company is not going to notice one and a half billion dollars missing from? You know, from from their, their yeah, their that's money. true. Uh, so, so I'm sort of glad that you that that I didn't know about this until you know doing the the research for this minute right now, because it 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 takes away from the impact of taking so much money. Yeah, well, I think I think it's interesting. You know, it's like someone saying, "I'm going to steal five bucks from your from your pocket." You know, like okay, you know, I, I'll 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 feel the loss of the five bucks, but. You know, it's not going to take that long for me to get over. Yeah, I also just like that in this minute in particular, um, Gruber is very purposefully trying to be like, like the, uh, the subtext of what he's saying is, I don't want to, I don't want to shoot you. <laughs> like, just give me the codes. I'd right. rather not shoot you. Like, is what it feels like he's trying to say, you know, between the lines. But he's make sure the gun is there to say like, but I will. You know, if you don't like your choices yeah. here are give me the codes or not that, right? Like, <laughs> it's, that's right. <laughs> you know, you can give you can give me the codes exactly. and you can lose six hundred million dollars, or you can, you know, not live to see what that looks like. Correct. Yeah. Or I'm going to yeah, get exactly. them anyway. You know, and 
and then Hans' response is, "Then there's no reason not to tell mm. tell it to us." I love I love how and, reasonable he's you know, being the, at this point. <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. And at this point, he picks up the gun and switches it to his left hand. You know, and and uh, you know he's looking around. And uh, now the question is, do you think Takagi's trying to stall at this point? Do you think he he realizes that he's in a precarious situation and needs to try and stall? Yeah. Or is it just his yeah, nervousness? I think, I think what you said before about how he he thought he was dealing with one type of person and and is just realizing that he's dealing with an entirely different kind of person has sort of thrown him for a loop. And I think he's trying to gauge how reasonable Gruber is. And it's kind of like he's the next thing he after Gruber says that there's no reason not to give it to you, Dois, and I think the next line from Takagi is, "Well, you're just gonna have to kill me then." Feels like an. No, 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 no. That, that's just tomorrow. Oh, that's tomorrow. tomorrow. Okay. We don't. We don't get there. We don't get there right. tomorrow. But that is the next line from yeah. Takagi. Yes. And I just, I feel like. At, but you know, does. The... Sorry, I just, I feel like at this point Takagi's just trying to sort out who exactly he's dealing with and deciding whether or not he's going to roll the dice on it, which would be nerve wracking for anyone, let alone, a, you know, he's the CEO of this multi-billion dollar corporation. He's used to these high pressure negotiations. I just think he's not used to having a gun in his face while he's doing it. Yes. <laughs> no. And the question is, does he really believe that Hans is going to shoot him? I fully think it's just, it's just a threat. Yeah. I fully think he doesn't at this point. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think uh, he, he figures that out at any point. And then I love the fact that I've, I've, I, I, I had a, a good friend that I saw this movie with tons of times on, on uh, cable and video when it came out. His name was uh, his name is uh, Josh uh, Zwelling. He's probably not listening to this because I haven't been in touch with him in years. But whatever, if you are listening, Josh, just shout out to you. And he's the one who pointed out to me the fact that, you know, as this is all going on, we get a shot of Carl and Theo. And, you know, basically, <laughs> he goes, I told you. Yeah. <laughs> and he goes, it's not over yet. And the idea that the two of them are, are having a bet as to what's going on here. We, we don't know what their bet is at this point. And we can, we'll, we'll, later in the week, we'll, we'll try to infer who, who well, we'll know later in the week who, who, uh, who's siding with what. But I just love the fact that, you know, here you have a villain that's getting ready to shoot somebody and you have two henchmen sitting on the side, betting on the fact of, is he going to shoot him or not? Yeah. It gives you know, such and wonderful, it's, it's, like it's a throwaway line. Yeah. It gives such wonderful texture to the side characters, uh, which I think yes. this movie in particular is, is pretty good at. Not Maybe not all of them, but certainly to those yeah. two they get a lot of interesting screen moments that could have been just very bland or or no dialogue at all but all the dialogue they do get is super interesting and super yeah uh, sure. super engaging clarence gilliard in particular um whose character name escapes me as i said his name out loud um theo theo yeah theo. He, every I find, I find every time he's on screen in this movie i find him entertaining uh like yeah you know whether there's a scene we're going to get with him in the in a couple of days, but even in the very beginning, which you would have already been through when he comes into the building and 
they shoot the guard at the front Where door, he, and he's yeah. just humming to himself as he's hacking the elevators and such. I love that scene. I love how yeah. just sort of <laughs> aloof and you know probably sociopathic he is in this movie. It's great. Yeah, completely. I mean, it's it's just great the way that he does it. And then uh, Hans goes back to talking about fashion again and goes, that's a very nice suit, Mr. Takagi. Mm -hmm. And we'll, we'll have to wait to find out what the, the continuation of that, that is because, uh, you know, that, that's, the, that's where this minute ends. Yeah. So do you have anything else you want to say about the minute before we get into the, the, the script uh, discrepancies? No, just that um, whatever he says, that's a nice, that's a nice suit. Uh, you know, she, all I can think about is a cat, you know, looking at a glass of water, saying, "That's a be a shame if something happened to that." <laughs> you know, like, which, <laughs> <laughs> which uh, I think might be the the opening line of our next up tomorrow. But it's uh, yeah, I just I can't help but picture one of them. I have three cats, and I can't help but picture one of them just looking at me with a paw against something they're going to knock over. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I, I'm not a cat person, so I, I can't I can't uh, relate. But but I I, I understand what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> so the, the the script has a, a few discrepancies here, not that many. Mm -hmm. So first of all, the the entire um, the entire dialogue that we talked about that that you can sort of hear but can't really hear. So it's not in the script at all. It says that that uh, really? you know McLean can hear the mumble of voices from the conference room. So I, I love the fact that they decided to actually add dialogue there and not just make it that, that we hear muffled sounds and that's it. Yeah. And so I, I, that was, I think that's great. Do we know if that was an onset like rewrite or just like the actors winging it or it must have been an onset. I'm assuming it's it, not. It, it must have been it must have been a rewrite on set. That's what I would think. It, this doesn't sound like something that that uh, um, that, that Alan Rickman would just ad lib. Yeah, it's a bit too precise, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Then um, one of the things also in the script, instead of him putting the gun on the table, he puts it in his pocket. Oh, and the then, much um, yeah, for sure. No, because because the you know Takagi sees the gun in front of him, yeah. so obviously. And the the final thing is, first of all, in the in the script, it does have Theo and Carl saying, "I told you," and it's not over. So that was already planned beforehand. You know, that isn't an ad lib because that would have been a great ad lib mm -hmm. if they would have done that. But but after they say that, it says Hans gives them both a look like an annoyed schoolmaster and then turns back to Takagi. <laughs> <laughs> the, 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 I, mean, I, I just love descriptions in, in scripts. It's, it's a pretty great one, too. Yeah, correct. Because... All right. So yeah, now that you've said that, I can't remember if he actually gives that look, but I can see him giving that look in my head. Just, he, he he gives them a look. Yeah, he does give them a look. But see, as soon as no, you said it, I was like, did he, give, did he give him a look? But in my head, it doesn't matter because I can very clearly picture Alan Rickman giving him yeah, that yeah. look. Yeah, no, he does. He he looks at them in a very stern fashion and then looks back at the kagi hmm. and then starts talking about the fashion jargon once again. Hmm. You know. Now, I mean, what what do you think Hans is expecting or suggesting by his by him starting to say, you know, that's a nice suit? <laughs> well, I mean, I know what's about to happen in the next, like, what we'll talk about tomorrow. No, I know, I know, I know. I'm just kidding. Tomorrow we'll yeah. we'll get to there. 
yeah, it's it's interesting that it gets cut off right there, you know, because it would have been it it it, it cuts him off mid thought. But that happens to us a few times this week. You know, the, when you're when you're cutting things down by the minute, you can't always choose yeah. where you're going to yeah, cut. True. It. What can I tell you? Right. So every Monday we do a segment called Die Hard on a Monday, where my guests will give their top five Die Hard doppelganger mm. movies. So what have, what have you got for us, Matt? So I start from number five and I work had a, your hard, way up. a hard time with this, to be totally honest. Um, but no, no lie to me. <laughs> um, and it's actually amazing how I made a list, and a lot of them were from the '90s. Uh, but I'm going to go with my number five being the 1993 Sylvester Stallone classic Cliffhanger, which is just Die Hard on a Mountain, where he's fighting right. uh, also thieves, you know, masquerading as terrorists, but they're just thieves. They've robbed a, a money plane and the plane crashed. The, the money's on the side of the mountain and him and his mountain climbing buddies are fighting back. Um for number four, uh, I'm going to go with uh, 1996 Executive Decision, which is a Kurt Russell Ooh. starring Die Hard yeah. but on a plane. Uh, and I mm-hmm. like this movie. I mean, it's it's even better now because this person has turned out to be kind of garbage. But um, I really enjoy how, at the time, I have very distinct memories of this being advertised as a Steven Seagal movie. And the first thing that happens is that he dies. <laughs> like in the first, like yes, I, the truth is I don't remember. I don't remember being uh, advertised as a Seagal movie, but I remember the fact that this was the first Seagal movie yeah. where Seagal dies. No, uh, sorry for spoilers for anyone who who hasn't seen the Executive Decision, but that might actually be a plus that people yeah. want to go see it because they get to see you know the first movie where Steven Seagal yeah, I don't think it's a killed. spoiler either because it's literally like it's in the first like 20 minutes it's it's as soon as the action starts yeah. no I think it's a little is it 20 minutes probably a little a little yeah, it's been a while along, since yeah. I've seen it basically as soon as they try to get to the plane uh, right. well, he but he does it heroically he, he doesn't yeah, he doesn't die like a chump but it also you know? has uh, a couple of great supporting uh, performances from Halle Berry and uh, John Leguizamo too. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So for my number uh, three, three, I'm three. going to, yeah. uh, I'm going to cheat slightly and say uh, the 2014 film, The Equalizer, but just the third act because most of the movie is not Die Hard, but the third act of that movie is very much Die Hard, but in a hardware store. No, okay. have you seen that one? Yeah, uh, yeah, I've uh, seen it. I, I'm not the biggest fan, you know. I'm not, I'm not the biggest Denzel fan. Interesting. And uh, especially when you're just they're trying to remake uh, something that worked so well yeah. in the '80s. Um, I, I'm sort of mixed on the movie, but I really enjoy the sequence at the end where it's just him facing off a bunch against a bunch of bad guys in a hardware store. Uh, I think it works right. well. Okay, that's fair. So for number two, number two, let's go with. Uh, the Rock, which is a very loosely a Die Hard movie, because there's two of them. Yeah. Um, but there's two of them against a bunch of bad guys who are also trying to steal stuff. It's at an Alcatraz. Yeah, bad guys who aren't really bad guys. Not all bad guys, but they're not all bad guys. Pretty bad guys. Uh, and there's two of them instead of just one. But it's yeah. a wonderful pairing of 
uh, manic Nick Cage and you know Sean Connery having the most fun I think he maybe ever had. Yeah, uh, it's a super fun, and it's also yes maybe. I think I know a lot of it's probably my second favorite Michael Bay movie. I know it's a lot of people's first favorite Michael Bay movie, and it's his first really big movie. Uh, so, yeah, it's a good one. Now I just want to watch The Rock. Well, wait, wait, wait till we finish recording this week, and then, then <laughs> I'm going to cheat for my number one too. I'm going to choose two movies, and I'm going to choose them because they are effectively the same movie. Uh, and one of them is 2011's The Raid, and the other is 2012's dread both of which feature a police officer in a high-rise building fighting off a building full of gangsters um the former which being the uh set in set in indonesia by directed by gareth edwards and featuring intense martial arts action and the latter being a uh, alex garland adapted version of the long-running british comic book story uh, with admittedly not a lot of the satire that the comic features, but all of the violence and a perfect casting of Carl Urban. So I really like both of those movies, and I couldn't separate them because they are beat for beat. The same. Right. All right, well, I, I, I have a little bit of a problem with you doing that because I, I tally it up later. So I don't know how I would tally oh. that up because I can't give them both fives. You know, <laughs> I can't give them both points. So are you basically saying I should no. drop cliffhanger drop off, off the list? Uh, drop off, yeah, drop off and, cliffhanger. Drop and, off cliffhanger and put the raid at the top. So the raid, dread, uh, down. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Okay. Yes. All right. That, that, that makes sense. All right. Great. Thank you very much for that. Would you want to tell people how they can get in touch with you? Yes. Uh, the easiest way to get in touch with me is to check out the website, awesomefriday.ca. Because we are based in Canada, uh, we're on all the socials, Instagram and Twitter, at AwesomeFridayCA and Facebook, AwesomeFriday. Uh, and our main output is our Awesome Friday podcast, which you can find pretty much anywhere you listen to podcasts. All right, cool. And while you're doing that, you can go rate, review, and subscribe to any podcatcher that you might be using to listen to the show. You can find me very simply. Just do a quick search for Movie Rob Minute. You can find me on Facebook. You can find me on Twitter. Or you can go to my website, moviewrobminute.com. So, until tomorrow, yippee-ki-yay. Yippee-ki-yay. Woo!